Welcome to Unbooking the Tankatory, the bonus series from Unbooking the Territory, where we look at the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. This week, Tank Abbott faces Kevin Nash. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime there, Doug Dillinger. I'll let you come out here and take a shot on me. Wait till he finds out what's behind door number one. Something down the road at the Silverdome in six playing to an empty house. Because the real deal is here. Oh, here he comes. Get that fat duck ass out here. I'll tell you something, Mike. He's not done yet. This man, Tank Abbott, is making a name for himself. How are you this week, Dan? Disoriented, confused, and I don't really know what's going on. And for once, it's not beer. It's because I've been awake about half an hour. I had an accidental nap uh, just before we started recording. So if I'm a little bit more out there than usual, I do apologise. But it's all good, mate. How are you? It just reminds me of, uh, well, this is one for Steve, that episode of The uh, Simpsons where Homer's in charge of the vigilante group and they're uh, guarding the museum and he gets in a drinking competition with some teenagers and passes out outside and the cat burglar gets in and the newspaper says uh, Simpson asleep at the post and I wasn't (laughs) asleep, I was drunk. That's like, I believe you, Dad. This is is the opposite. I wasn't drunk, I was asleep. (laughs) But I made it, and, and just about on time as well. Yeah, nice. It's uh, what a tick in your attendance column. We don't have to send you out a tardy slip. <laughs> I, I do actually fully expect one of those, and, and for it to have an increasingly bizarre reason each time. <laughs> first, <laughs> first, first slip, why did you, why were you late? I had to do a poo. Second slip, why were you late? My takeaway didn't turn up. Third one, why were you late? I don't know, a pigeon got in the house or some shit. I'm expecting that to happen at some point soon. I was eating my takeaway while having a poo. (laughs) I wish I could say that I've never eaten while on the toilet, but that would be a lie. Obviously, the shower beers. I don't know if there's shower shower biryanis. (laughs) (laughs) I've never eaten anything while in the shower. Shower shower beers are a magical thing. They are. They are, especially after you've done the garden or whatever. And having a beer on the toilet. I will stand by shitter beers. I'll sit by shitter beers as well. Don't shower beers, and don't shit beers. <laughs> you should. Give yourself a treat. If you time yeah. it right, it feels like it's going all the way through. Yeah, it feels more like, um, you know, a spirit kind of thing. <laughs> <It'll show. laughs> this is my crapping whiskey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, talking about crapping whiskey, you're drinking, Dan. <laughs> I am, but I'm not drinking whiskey and I'm not on the toilet. I've got a new Bristol... pack of Dak Daniels for uh, being on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I don't know that. No, I think it'd have to be honey. I need something good that goes down smooth so it comes out smooth. I don't know. Um, you're not you're not the play play doh hairdressers now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm on a new Bristol Brewery uh, double tonight. I've got uh, the espresso martini cinder toffee stout at seven percent. It's a stout by New Bristol Brewery, so it's going to be good. Um, very much enjoying that. And then I'm going to the other end of the scale, and I've got a blueberry lemon drizzle donut sour at five and a half percent. Taking it somewhat steady because we're recording on a school night. Yeah, I'm taking it steady as well. So at the moment, I haven't got any tartarus beers in front of me. That might change if uh, we get part way through this and I get a bit of a taste for it, and it all goes <laughs> insane. You've got to be careful, you've got to be careful with your long commute to your kitchen. Yeah, exactly. I do have to go downstairs, though. There, there is a risk there. But 
But if you do want to drink Tartarus beers, you can log on to tartarusbeers.co.uk and put in the promo code UTT Podcast 15 and get 15% off. And they specialise in high percentage, very tasty, very good beers and well worth checking out. Just while we've been doing the preamble to the show, I've uh, had Sweet Wheat by Lervig, which was a wheat beer at 4.5%. Um, very nice. I think Lervig should maybe stick in you know, the dark beer lane that they're good at. Uh, it wasn't as mm. uh, uh, interesting departure, but yeah, it was It was all right. I gave that 3.25 on on taps. I've literally just opened Nocturnal, and that's from that To All Brewery. And it's a Beer 52 exclusive. It's a Session Pastry Stout. Ooh, very nice. Very much my thing. Yeah, it's, it's lovely, actually. It's uh, very nice. Um, I don't know about Session Stout. Well, I suppose any Stout's a Session Stout if you're committed enough, really, isn't it? <laughs> Given some of the sessions we've had, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, I've got uh, Gorilla and... That is from Two Tribes Brewing. Uh, it's five, what, uh, 5% uh, Hazy Pale Ale. Uh, it's, actually, it's a collab with Nicolas uh, Escard. Uh, so I, I think these have definitely come out of the Scandi pack from Beer 52, which would have been, I don't know, four or five Beer 52s ago. I've got so much beer. <laughs> I don't know if I told this story in the podcast. I definitely sent you the image on WhatsApp, didn't I? That I, I was just beer. about to say. Yeah, some beer on the side, and it literally exploded. I had one can go like a shot, and then another one went. Uh, I, threw, uh, I took the box outside to get the beer out of the kitchen, and then uh, was sort of bringing some in and trying, you know, trying to get into the uh, fridge to cool it down. And on the way to the fridge, in the middle of the kitchen, one went in my hand, and it completely <laughs> coated the ceiling. And then beer rained down on me. That's like a monkey's paw of something that you wished for. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I wish it could rain beer on me. Well, here you go, motherfucker. It was actually if you if you if you saw the picture, it was bloody terrifying the way the cans were just like ripped open from the inside out. I tell you what, though, it makes me thankful. What I dealt, I left that. Um, I got rid of that landlady when I did that you brought around. Yeah, that that definitely would have gone that way, wouldn't it? Well, the box was bulging out of the sides by the time I got rid of it. <laughs> it, it was not happy. It wasn't tasty either. I kept that for far too long. But yeah, exploding beers and, and questionable decisions. It's uh, it's pretty much our brand. Yeah, which would lead us to watching Thunder from the 7th of July 2000. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I keep setting them up. You keep knocking them out of the park. <laughs> I remember ages ago when we had uh, Chris Bellis on UTT and he described the Russo and Bischoff era as, you know, uh, fun to watch after a few beers with your mates sort of thing. And uh, in a roundabout way, that's exactly what we're doing. Exactly what we're doing. So the show opens. It's got Tony Giovanni, Mike Tinney and Bobby Heenan on commentary. Uh, before that, though, they had the opening video and that was... That was not one for anybody with any sort of photosensitivity or... Or, you know, sort of aversion to flashing images. That was, that was a rough watch even for me. It looked like it had been filtered through a migraine. Yeah, yeah, WCW production not on fire. Although I often wonder with stuff like this, if given it would have been a lot lower definition when it had gone out on the CRT yeah. TV, would it have been as, as jarring? But 
you know, the some highlights from the previous Nitro, Sting versus Jarrett, Hollywood Hogan's return, Russo versus Flair in the Cage, Tank versus Goldberg, the Nash Gauntlet, and um, Bischoff suspending Goldberg. Yeah, suspended for 90 days, wasn't he? He was, he was, so we definitely won't see him on this show. No, he's, he's done, not a chance, he's definitely not. Yeah. Out for 90 days. Start of the show, a limo pulls up and Bischoff has three lawyers with him. Great stuff. That's what you want in wrestling is, uh, is you know, legal action. Yeah. Uh, show opens, uh, scans the crowd, fireworks, everyone's really happy. And Tony Giovanni says that we are four days away from the Great American Bash. Four days. Four days. In, reality, in our time, it's been fucking weeks. And I've checked worldwide. There is definitely not another match between now and Great American Bash. Why would you? Why would you even risk it? Why would you even check? <laughs> it was bad enough. It was bad enough. I found this one by accident. Well, we've unlocked the secret match. This wasn't on cage match. We've had a couple <laughs> of those, haven't we? we? I remember when we were watching one episode of UTT. There was a Kiss Demon match that wasn't on cage match, and there was the women's match. Um, from WCW Saturday Night that wasn't on as well. Yeah, there was. Yeah, we're getting good at this. I hope Cage Max knows that there's still such a thing as a strongly worded letter to the Times. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, just just send it to every publication you can think of until they get it right. Yeah. So, uh, scan the crowd. There's a sign saying, I'm on Viagra. Um, it looks like Billy Kidman... <laughs> machine and gone a few months back fair enough that one bypassed me and i'm absolutely gutted <laughs> so bischoff is out with his three lawyers and uh, martin is hyping bischoff's big announcement at great american bash yeah it was another typical sort of smart arsey smarmy bischoff promo wasn't it really it feels like it, it, we've we keep seeing it and it keeps being good um yeah. so i can't really complain at that yeah, so Bischoff wants to get three things across. He's got this big surprise coming that no one can stop him revealing. And despite the fact that he deeply respects Goldberg, he's had to suspend him for 90 days without pay. Uh, the third point is that because of what happened to Jeff Jarrett in his match against Sting, uh, the match against Nash is going to be postponed. <sighs> what, what bullshit is this, the bully? Yeah, and, and Jarrett comes out, he's in a halo, the WCW halo that's used in most segments of the show at this point. Um, and we'll be seeing that one at Great American Bash. Uh, he's got his arm in plaster, uh, his leg in plaster, he's got the sexy nurses in tow that were um, previously seen with Kevin Nash when he had his leg injury, quote-unquote. Yeah, I did wonder if they were the same nurses. Turns out they were working, just working for the office all along. Yeah. So um, Russo gives um, Jarrett a standing ovation because he's uh, you know, bravely got to the ring. Jeff Jarrett says he knows that his millions of snap nut, slap nuts are going to be disappointed, but it's all Sting's fault. He apologised. I wasn't disappointed. I, I wasn't disappointed to see him like that. I was quite happy. Well, what about the news today that Jeff Jarrett's parted ways with WWE? Oh, no. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, no, that's bad because it means it'll crop up more on the fucking indies like he managed to weasel his way into Flair's last match and he'll probably turn up at NWA 74 now and fucking GCW again. Oh, ju just get ready for all your wrestling websites to be spammed with cash for gold adverts. <laughs> a 
as long as it doesn't come back to impact. Yeah, uh, it was funny. I saw <laughs> I saw that Jeff Jarrett had been released by WWE, and then I got a, a notification through that Gold had hit a uh, a low for the year or something. Love <laughs> <laughs> it when stuff like that lines up. Yeah, uh, he's just—he's literally left at the optimum time for his gold business. He apologised to the fans, to WCW, to Eric Bischoff, and to Kevin Nash. And uh, then we hear Kevin Nash's music hits, and Bobby Heenan says he's going to break his good arm and leg. Yeah, and we can only hope. Yeah, Nash says he's truly sorry. As he's looking and forward to uh, kicking Jarrett's ass, he's uh, brought a baseball bat to take Jarrett's temperature. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear on commentary, that won't fit in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was Bobby Heenan, wasn't it? Yeah. Bobby was on for Nash attacks. Jarrett is ripping off the plaster. Bischoff goes to hit him with the bat that, the bat that he's managed to get hold of. But Nash stops him. And then Nash beats up all of Bischoff's lawyers, clotheslines Jarrett over the top rope. And Jarrett falls off the ramp and runs away. So his mysterious um, injury wasn't uh, that bad. And Bobby Heenan shouts, he's healed, it's a miracle. (laughs) Even amongst all this ridiculousness, Heenan is just the best. He's just so good. And it was was pretty cool. You know, it was pretty fun seeing the cast fall off. And well, yes, we know it's bullshit, thank you. And you know, it's just proof that Jeff Jarrett needed to uh, needed to consult Bob Orton on how to get the uh, get the cast to stay on. Yeah, he, d- he definitely did, definitely did. So, I mean, I don't think it's the best open that we've had on some of these uh, nitros and funders that we've been watching in in recent weeks. But it, I think it was entertaining. Yeah, it was decent enough. You know, it's setting up for the main event and. It, you know, it's, it's laying the seeds again with Goldberg and it's, you know, Nash is there, so he's going to face some repercussions and set it up for the rest of the night. One thought sort of permeates my feeling on this show and it's, I'm already ready for Great American Bash. I have been for weeks. Just give me Great American Bash. This doesn't, this doesn't necessarily need to happen other than the fact that you've got to do it because you've got the TV slot. I think part of the problem that we've got going in for this show, and, and uh, you know, I completely agree with you. I was more than ready for it, and, and uh, there are there are very good bits of this show and bits that help the build a great American Bash, and some bits that feel a bit like you know we, we're treading water and um, getting there in a way. But I think it doesn't help that we set our expectations that this episode we'd be reviewing Great American Bash. Oh no, that that is definitely an us problem, and affected the way I affected the way I looked at the show. And that's not to say that this show is bad. It's just I'm at a level of hype that I'm not going to come down from, but I'm not. I can't get any more excited for it. Yeah. So like, like I say, tread, so treading water is a, a decent way to to do it, but the treading water at a fairly high level. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and I think the show as well. Um, I think it's a, a, ta- a tale of two halves. This this show as well, which we'll come on to at the end. That next we see the misfits in action backstage, and General Rections telling the misfits to stop ogling major guns. Yeah, and then says something unintelligible. Wants them to act like soldiers. I think Chava made an innuendo. Um, this the audio quality on this was terrible, and I'll be honest, I couldn't be bothered to fiddle about with my TV and try and make it any better. Yeah. Uh, next, a bus put for, um, pulls up. It's Vince Russo's driving it. And David flares in the front seat, and it's full of pensioners. 
and some poor old deer fell on her ass getting off the bus. <laughs> now, to be fair, this is actually the um, the the median age of people that watch wrestling now. So, <laughs> <laughs> not for the first time in my life, I'm below average. Yeah. Then we see backstage, um, presumably they've gone to commercial break. Uh, Daphne's catching up with David Flair as he comes into the arena. And Daphne's saying that David hasn't called her all week. Uh, and David Flair says that he didn't have time as he needed to get ready for the party. Uh, and Daphne's question who he needed to get ready for the party with. Uh, was it that ex-Hooters bimbo, Miss Peacock? And the fact she says the word Peacock, given what... Peacock has done to a lot of the WWE network just made me smile a little bit but it was great to see Daphne as always and uh, and sets up nicely just what we'll see in a little bit yeah and, and what Peacock does to this episode as well which we'll, we'll come to in a little bit so then we're in Bischoff's dressing room there's Bischoff, Kimberly, the cat and Jarrett, uh, Kimberly's nagging Bischoff, Jarrett's demanding to know what they're going to do about the match Bischoff tries to blame Russo for the fake injury idea, and he looks stressed and kicks them all out. Yeah, uh, well, trouble in paradise, as it were. Yeah, the, the cat doesn't think all means the cat because he's Ms. and Bischoff at the moment. Oh, the fucking, he's so annoying, and not even in, not even in a fun heel or you know fun Ms. way, just in a please get the cat off my TV because no matter what he's doing, he's spouting the same old shit, or he's just imitating Bischoff, and it's. Dull. Yeah. Next up, another depressing moment. The filthy animals come out, and despite on the episode of Nitro that we watched them having their proper theme, they're back to the dub again. So lost yeah. it. But it's even worse than that because I watched this episode, made my notes, and then for reasons that take too long to explain, and I, I, I needed to find out if Rey Mysterio was wearing dungarees at a certain point in time. <laughs> I looked up a random Nitro, and he comes out to the fucking Filthy Animals theme. It's a fucking lottery. I mean, it depends what time of day you log in. You know, if it's like the afternoon, it's dubbed, and if it's the evening, it's... Oh, the selective copyright peacocking of, uh, of shit. Yeah, it, it's bizarre, and we get, uh, we get Conan on the mic... Uh, dropping uh, dropping a slur that was very much of its time, shall we say, uh, very much uh, acceptable in the nineties or the late two thousands, with the uh, with the R word there. Yeah, and then it implies they're going to rape Daphne. Says, oh God, uh, when, I that bit. Yeah, he says uh, when they get hold of her, we're really going to give her something to scream about. No, no, no. Well, at the, at the very least, that means they're going to beat the shit out of her. But the insinuation is far more sinister. It is. So we get the Cruiserweight Championship match, Disco Inferno with the Filthy Animals versus Lieutenant Loco with Misfits in Action versus Daphne with Crowbar. And Daphne's the reigning um, Cruiserweight Champion. And they've dubbed Daphne's music in this one as well. And what's even more annoying about that is Daphne had a megaphone with her so we could have heard her screaming. Mm. But we didn't hear any of it because they put the bloody dub over at top. Yeah, and it was a shit dumb as well. Yeah. This wasn't this was an okay match though. Um and I don't know if this was a problem with the original production of the show. Tigress goes on commentary and you can't hear a bloody word she's saying either. No. No, you can't. It really was it really was poor production uh, at the start of this show. 
Um, at least the in-ring action was all right, though. Um, my only problem with it was not enough Daphne. No, not enough Daphne at all. But, yeah, there's um, at the start, she stands back and lets them fight, and then she does the thanking scream at a disco, which I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And there was there was a comedy bit where Lieutenant Loco scares Daphne into tripping over disco into a roll-up and and all the rest of it. Crowbar hit an awesome somersault plancher to the outside, taking everybody out. Yeah, he wiped out the whole um, of the Misfits in action, didn't he? And yeah. he was pretty sure he had a smile on his face when he did it as well, like a big grin. Like If he could have, he'd have just gone wee over the top rope. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, was, it looked great. And it didn't look like they were waiting to catch him either. No, they were, all, they were busy fighting each other. Yeah, a lot of these spots don't seem set up in WCW at this point. And, um, I, and I know we've sort of bemoaned a lot of WCW's production and, and particularly camera work over the weeks, but I think they did right here. They just saw disc. Uh, they just showed Crowbar running across the ring, launching himself, and then cut to the outside after he after he landed to yeah. show people going over. So you don't know how they've how he's hit them. Yeah. You don't, you've not if they have been waiting for him, you've not seen it. Now whether no. it's accidental or not. <laughs> We don't know, but... It's, I, it's probably more good luck to manage CW camera work at this point. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Sting's returned, didn't they? <laughs> that was fucking tragic. Uh, then Miss Hancock's music hits. Miss Hancock and Daphne are arguing on the stage. Um, Kimberly comes out and pushes Miss Hancock into Daphne. Um, from previous episodes, we'd seen there was some beef between Kimberly and Miss Hancock because Miss Hancock had tagged with DDP. Yeah, and uh, I think she was accusing Hancock of uh, stealing a spotlight as well, wasn't she? And all the rest of it that Kimberly was go- going on about at this point. Yeah, uh, Major Guns um, starts spraying off against Kimberly, which. Again, we've seen it in previous episodes. I mean, Major Guns had come out and defended uh, Tori previously, and now mm. she's standing up for Major Guns. In a certain, I mean, I know she does this, you know, uh, sort of silly, over-sexualized story with MIA, but it seems to a certain extent they've got this B story going where she's like the conscience of the women's division. Yeah, it's it's certainly a lot more a lot more nuance to a character than than I remember or or expected, you know, looking back on it. I think, because to, to be honest, I pretty much remembered what little I'd seen of Major Guns as what we see at the end of the match, and that was the uh, the medically inaccurate CPR. I, I, actually, no, I, I disagree with you on this one, because on this CPR, she was literally holding Chavo's nose and she'd, like, cranked his neck back. <laughs> so they, I think this was the most accurate it ever got. <laughs> um, I just I just don't remember the uh, I just don't remember the disrobing being a necessary part of it. Well, you know, she's just clearing the airwaves. <laughs> clearing hers. Yeah, yeah. Tigress, we do hear her on commentary slagging off Major Guns, and obviously she's had that issue after Major Guns kicked uh, Rey Mysterio in the balls for being a creepy bastard. It's sad to think they're doing all this stuff with you know almost hinting at. A women's division division with the issues between, you know, Daphne and Miss Hancock and Kimberly and Miss Hancock and, you know, Major Guns step, you know, standing up for people and then Tigress has got problems with, you know, with them, and they're doing all this and it's going to end with fucking Ed Ferrara. Uh, well, let's see, let's see how let's see how it unfolds. We, we do get some interesting stuff with Daphne coming up, but um, 
yeah, it, it was more it was more than I remembered, and I, I did like that there seemed to be several storylines with the women at, at this point. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was one of the, the better the better bits of this match. Tony Schiavone is talking about you, you know what they're seeing in front of them is the relaxation of the rules in WCW. It's a fucking triple threat, Tony. You bell end. <laughs> <laughs> No rules in it, no DQ in a triple threat. It's always been that way. Yeah, Booker T uh, in his GI Bro gimmick comes out. Um, he didn't come out with the rest of the Misfits in action. He attacks Disco Inferno, gives him the bookend, and uh, pulls a unconscious Lieutenant Loco over Disco, and he gets the three count. Lieutenant Loco's the new cruiserweight champion. In my notes, bad Booker T. Bad Booker T. No good. No good. Um, and like I said before, it needed more Daphne and a bit less shenanigans. Yeah, but uh, at least we get a realistic demonstration of how to perform CPR afterwards from Major Guns <laughs> on Lieutenant <laughs> Loco. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, there is a sign saying, Schultz, you suck, which I think at this point was about 20 years too late for Dr. D, Dave Schultz. <laughs> There was also there was a sign in the crowd in, that somebody kept holding up in the foreground that was telling someone to wax their bald head. Um, I, I didn't see that. But there was someone who it was like, you know, we see Nitro as Tinder and people put the name and a phone number, yeah. but it's like Dean. It was like Dino's, which made me, which makes it sound like a takeaway as opposed to a guy called oh, Dean. Imagine if so, it was a pizzeria. But just putting the number out there with, with no reference to what it could be, you know. Oh, I've seen this number on Nitro, I'm going to ring it because it might be a pizzeria and, you know, they, they just fix um, tyre punctures or whatever. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got no context of what the business is. Oh, yeah. it's. Um, I wonder if anybody rang those numbers. They must have done. must have done. They must have done. But, should, should we yeah. try some? Well, we don't know. <laughs> dialing code is the problem. Fuck. So next we see backstage, Kidman's trying to apologise to Tori, but she doesn't really want to hear any of it. Yeah, there's there's a few of these throughout the night, isn't there? Just very quick, sort of 20 to 30 second, like little skits. Yeah, there, there is. Uh, again, another 20 to 30 seconds. Uh, it's uh, outside Bischoff's office. Cat's um, trying to get in, um, very much foreshadowing Sami Zayn in uh, SmackDown in 2022. Russo um, comes up to him and tells him he's got a job for him. Now, I don't know if we went to the break. We must have at some point. There seems to be a missing scene here. I think we've been peacocked. All right. But when we come back from uh, back to the show, it sort of cuts part way into them saying something and it's moments ago and it's showing the cat telling MIA if they interfere uh, in the match that he's going to fire them so I'm presuming that there was something where Russo gave cat control and a mandate to go and do something uh, but yeah. that's, um, I, I, do re- I do remember after Russo talked to uh, the cat they saying like I'm sure he said the ring the ring or something like that because the MIA was still out there celebrating but it, it was just the way that it transitioned so like so abruptly, mm-hmm. so halfway through something. Um, it, it felt like something's been cut from it. So he might have, he might have dropped a swear or something. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if we've missed too much context, but I, I really couldn't find what it was because any review that I've seen has been done relatively recently. So it's probably 
the same version we've. I know, I know the cat was warning them that if, the, like I say, if the Amaya break the rules, and he'll throw them out, and saying if they're not in a match, they shouldn't be out there, which is all leading to, uh, oh god, Major Stash versus Billy Kidman. Major Stash is Van Hammer, isn't it? He is. Yeah, he, he was Private Stash, and there was an interview with um, Bill Demott, who was General Rection on um, Joe in the Ring recently. Um, yes. Just, just in general, go check out Joe in the Ring. They do some uh, really good work and, and be massive supporters of this podcast uh, from day one. But Bill Demott said in in that interview that when they brought Major Guns in, mm. Van Hammer was really upset that he had been a wrestler for like 10 years and he was only a private. Fuck's and sake. Into the business since she was a major. So that's why he became Major Stash. What a stupid thing to get upset about. Yeah, well, I mean, people complain in 2022 that the marks have got into the ring. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least this mark was like six foot six and ripped, you know, ripped to shreds. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just the most ridiculous thing, you know, and... Oh, I, I want to be a major. I've been wrestling 10 years. Fuck off, Van Hammer, you bellend. And, you know, the, the most over one in the whole thing, G.I. Bro, is like the lowest ranking. <laughs> and we'll see at the, you know, and, and coming up shortly, the highest ranking one's a complete idiot, so. <laughs> oh, it's almost like they don't really understand what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I guess the highest ranking one being a complete idiot might be uh, true to life in some, well, some scenarios, but yeah. Let's not go into that sort of talk on air. Yeah. <laughs> we get Billy Kidman cutting a promo saying that uh, he snapped under the pressure at Nitro, um, but he needed to um, know if he could trust Horace. And uh, someone in the crowd throws a full drink at Kidman, not just the cup. <laughs> I missed and, that. Yeah, it was great. It sort of skidded across the mat. And he says he's four days away from retiring Hulk Hogan at Great American and Bash, and, and he can't deal with all this personal crap. He's got Horace, a funny way about apologising, isn't he? Yeah, he, re- he really is. Horace uh, attacks Stash on the outside while Kidman's uh, arguing with the referee. And um, you know, we get the start to the match, uh, although it doesn't really count as a, a much of an apology to Tory there. Um, no. Stash does a really good delayed suplex on Kidman. Yeah, he does. He started the match quickly as well because he chucked Horace out dead quick. And then he hit an atomic drop on a, a big boot, an Alabama slam. And then we got the outside and stuff. But yeah, that, that delayed sort of superplex where he stood on the second rope was was really eye catching. Looked really good. It's not a long match. It's, it's not a long match because I think I've pretty much described everything I've known there. No, I mean, Horace does a definitely driver to Stash, which uh, was, again, uh, competent. And um, Kidman does a top rope elbow after that and gets the three count. It, it, it was a thing that happened. And Tony Schiavone reminds us that Horace is the special guest referee on Sunday. so Which I had forgot. Yeah, well, it's easy to forget Horace because he uh, defies memory. And, and he's not called Horace, he's called Horace. They should have done that. They should have, you know, Kidman should have been to Tori, you cheated on me with Horace, and she's like, who? <laughs> Horace. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Well, I, saw, I saw the horse and Terry Funk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Um, that is still the greatest thing I've ever seen in wrestling. Terry Funk being kicked by a horse. Fucking hell. Yeah, go back and check that out in the archives. Billy Kidman asks Tori to come to the ring. Um, she comes to the ring. She's got a massive smile on her face. Um, Kidman says, we always talked about our first fight and how it would be fun uh, to make up afterwards. Uh, Tori smiles and then she slaps Kidman. Which got a big pop from me because that was great. Don't fall for his shit, Tori. Yeah. Bobby Heenan saying, you know, that um, uh, mentally Kidman's as soft as tapioca at this point with everything that's going on in his personal life. Can he trust Horace? You know, his relationship's falling apart and he's saying there's no way that he can um, concentrate on Hogan at Great American Bash. And it, it, it is interesting that we spent so much of the build to Great American Bash with the faces never getting a look in. Mm-hmm. And rather than the faces necessarily getting over we are putting chinks in the armour of the heels. Yeah, it's it is very interesting because but the heels have got the heels have got so much behind them, you know, in terms of the new blood and all of that. It's kind of necessary to do it that way around. Yeah, no, definitely. But I guess it's better than this sort of uh, just randomly put the heel the faces up uh, two weeks before the pay per view was. Uh, yeah, than you know the modern wrestling style. Next up, uh, the cat is teaching the pensioners to dance. And then we got to the next segment. Well, there's a bit in this where the cat threatens one of the old ladies and she takes a cardigan off and says, I'll knock that bleach out of your hair. (laughs) And the cat backpedals. Yeah, all right, I did like that. (laughs) And, uh, sorry, a quick sidebar. Not related to the podcast at all, you can edit this out. Um, you'll be happy to know that Fulham are losing 2-0 to Crawley Town in the uh, in the Cup. Couldn't happen to a nicer team. And back to our regularly scheduled programming. That's staying in. Uh, I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, well, Forest are now on the list for the amount they're spending, but yeah, I mean, the amount they've spent, it's, it's just not financial fair play in any way, shape or form. No, it's fucking ridiculous. But now we yeah. get to Ric Flair's retirement party. We do. Balloons are falling from the ceiling uh, with his Russo, David and the pensioners on the way to the ring. And Tony Schiavone says, on paper, Ric Flair should be able to mop the floor with David. And they go, well, actually, on paper, Reed Flair should be able to mop the floor with David. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, um, if you're thinking like, sort of, you know, uh, mankind throwing the rock a birthday party, it, uh, it, this definitely wasn't in, on that level. There was, there was definitely some expense spared. <laughs> And David hadn't talked to his girlfriend for an entire week prepping this. Has he considered his future doesn't lie in party or party or event planning? He's no Alicia Fox, is he? Nah, fucking well, who is? Exactly, exactly. David um, talks about Ric Flair never being there for his events. Um, that says um, that he made damn sure that he was here for Ric Flair's end of career party. Vince Russo hypes up that his professional wrestling record is now 2 0. He's beat both Reed and Ric Flair. <laughs> it could be an AEW keeping this lack um, <laughs> of his record, couldn't it? Fucking hell. You know, he yeah, says in one week he's pinned both Flair's Rick and Reed. It's just it's just so funny. You know, yeah. uh, only Russo could deliver a promo like that. But again, it is I say that it's, it's, it's still very much MJF. He says that in the match against Rick and Reed, he suffered a concussion, ligament damage, and he actually shows the scars on his chest from the chops. The welts, yeah, they, and yeah. they are nasty. 
Yeah, so, you know, clearly he was taking legitimate chops. Although I do remember someone saying once, um, I think it might have been Bischoff, actually, that the thing about red chops is there isn't any way of, like, kayfabing it. No. Just got to do it. Whereas, yeah. you know, every other thing you can, you can kind of just... But what I liked it. is Russo went a step further and actually poured water in it and, and scrubbed at his chest to show that it's yeah. not makeup or anything. Yeah, no, that that was good. I did like that. Oh, the next bit's just a bit weird though. He accuses the old people of farting, doesn't he? And yeah. then uh, and then he gets them to sing for "He's a Jolly Good Fellow" badly. And it's yeah. just it it was losing me at this point. I've got to be honest. Well, a big cake gets wheeled to the ring, and Russo thinks that Ric Flair's going to be in the cake. As you would. No, but actually, that is really good because whenever do you see them doing that in wrestling? Normally, there's a big cake there in the background, like when uh, Rusev was in there with his bow tie on. And, <laughs> you, you know, uh, it didn't, they just thought, oh, it's a big cake in the corner for us that's made of cardboard. They yeah. didn't check it, you know. <laughs> did, did you pay for that big cake? No, did you pay for that big cake? Why is the big cake there? Who cares? It's a big cake. Let's carry on. Unfortunately, Ric Flair wasn't in the cake. It was a distraction, and Flair attacks uh, David with a low blow while Russo's tearing the cake apart. Uh, Reed's in there too, but we don't get anything from Reed on this episode, which is a big shame because he, he, oh, he backs off David. Yeah, but he, you know, he was doing takedowns and stuff on Nitro. He's twelve. The probably <laughs> fellow by this point, the 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 Turner offices or whoever owns him at this point. Probably look at why the hell did you have a 12 year old in a wrestling match? <laughs> well, it's it, it do it first and ask for forgiveness later. Flair leaves, uh, Russo throws the cake into the crowd. There was an actual cake on the table, and Russo got rammed into it, so he ended up with cake all over his face. And did you see, as, as the sort of ushering the old people out of the ring, there was one old woman who was just really happy and laughing at Russo because he had cake on his face. Well, yeah, you know, she's been paid to be there. She's been on primetime television. She's uh, oh yeah, fair yeah, so the, the rest of them just sort of shuffled off and were like, "Okay, we leave now." And this this woman at the end is just like, ah, ha, ha, ha. "I wonder if she was like that woman who was Triple H's valet for one night who put it on her IMDb." And that's the only <laughs> thing on her IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> Laugher at Vince Russo, Nitro, <laughs> sorry, Thunder. Yeah, number three. <laughs> We see Tank and Rick's car pulling up, and behind them, there's the Goldberg monster truck. Looming as ever. Yeah. In Bischoff's office, Bischoff is on the phone. He says he's spoken to all three of his attorneys. Oh. And... All three? Wow. <laughs> and if Goldberg puts uh, one foot in the building, he'll be arrested. Yeah, something about they're, they're hiring the building, therefore they own it, therefore it's their property. They don't want Goldberg there, so it's classed as trespassing or something like that. I think that's fair enough, though. Well, that makes sense. You know, you, you wouldn't yeah. uh, just allow a random into a football game or whatever, would you? No, true. If he's not had a ticket and he's not paid to be there. Yeah. And they can refuse entry to anyone. Very true. Yeah. So next up, the Mamelukes are backstage in the arena looking at some hockey memorabilia. They have been given the hardcore title uh, for reasons by Bishop Food went on to all that effort to win it off Ric Flair. I've Not, got it off uh, Terry Funk. 
I've got the hardcore title that I've been wanting for so long. Oh, wait, I have to defend it. Big lads have that. But we didn't even see it. And, and this feels like a, a real loose end in an era that was really good at tying up loose ends. I mean, they, they just didn't do anything with it. I don't know if this is, you know, I mean, I, I guess to a certain extent, you know, the Beatles were Lennon and McCartney, but some songs were more Lennon and some songs were more McCartney. I mean, is this mm. a bit of storyline and he can't be bothered with it? Or, But on the bright side, Big Vito has a title. He does, he does. And I remember years ago, Big Vito on a podcast saying that um, when he uh, became hardcore champion, uh, Ric Flair was uh, saying to him in the bar that night, you're the man now when you have to buy a round for everyone. And <laughs> big coming out moment. And, and I do, I mean, Aww. Big Vito, friend of the show, but I do wonder if Flair might have taken him for a ride on that one. I, I think he did. But I can't blame you know if, if um, I think that was, to my knowledge, that's Vito's first singles title yeah. in, uh, in WCW, and you've got somebody the stature of Ric Flair, you know, blowing smoke up your ass and bigging you up and and making you feel like a million dollars. Yeah, I'd buy around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, at the moment, I guess the title is technically held between Vito and Johnny the Ball. Um, yeah, but Vito's wearing it. Vito's wearing it. I think Vito's going to go a little bit Lord of the Rings with this joint title reign. <laughs> what, throwing a volcano? Well, if, if the production is stretched to it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's WCW, so you've got to lower your expectations. It was, uh, it's, a, it's a macaroni, a ready meal macaroni cheese that's been in the microwave for 10 minutes instead of five. Did you spot in this match, because this match is the Mamelukes versus the War and the handicap match for half. <laughs> title there's Talk a reason dinner there is a massive oversized novelty box of crafts macaroni dinner that was exactly where i was going with that yeah <laughs> because i think it was in fact i think vito got smacked with it he did yeah uh, i loved that mike today's question who's the champion vito are joining the ball they, they fight into catering and i imagine the catering team is looking for the macaroni cheese yeah <laughs> That was meant to feed the entire roster. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. oh, big show. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily he's uh, um, gone up north. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was gone at that point, wasn't he? Who, who else is big there? I don't fucking know. Never mind. Yeah, the wall's a bit of a unit. And the hype, Mike Tanae's hyping the wall versus Shane Douglas in a table match at Great American Bash. Yeah. One thing I did like throughout this as well is that they kept, kept referencing how the wall just never went down. Really yeah. were bigging him up. They seem to be giving him this sort of Undertaker-like thing of rising. For, even if he gets beaten, then he'll sort of sit up and, you know, go yeah. and chase them again. In the framework for PCO. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, they fight into the crowd. Tony Fry says uh, Bischoff doesn't care who the champ is as long as it's not Terry Fung, which... Fair. Yeah. Fair, fair play. Well, uh, not fair, not fair. I wish it was still Terry Funk, and I wish we'd seen him here, but we didn't. We didn't, unfortunately. Uh, although, interestingly enough, we are going to see, as we covered in season one of UTT, Terry Funk taking Johnny the Ball under his wing in uh, later episodes. Yeah, we are. I'm very much looking forward to that, actually. Um, just, just imagine if Terry Funk had been in the uh, the giant craft mac and cheese. Yeah, well, uh, anyone's over if they come out of a box. Um, <laughs> 
they end up fighting into the ring. The Mamelukes are double teaming the wall. Uh, the wall gets a table, as is his want. Vito goes to the top rope, but the wall grabs him. Uh, but the franchise is in and hits the wall with a chair and Liger bombs him through the table. That was impressive, in fairness to Shane Douglas. The wall, the wall is not small. It's not. No. It's not. A, it's not Hadrian's wall. It's not a small wall. Um, no. For so for Douglas to get that kind of power was uh, was impressive. And then we get we get very awkwardly trying to pull the pieces of the table out from under uh, from under the wall so that uh, Vito can hit the big splash. Yeah, and it's actually a smash, a big splash, as opposed to um, sort of the second rope elbow that was his normal sort of finisher. Cranking out the frog splash. The Mamelukes win. Um, the heels are celebrating, but then the wall sits up and chases them away. Yeah, and they run... Uh, <laughs> the wall chases franchise out through the crowd and the Mamelukes run right into a tank. Well... We'll save that for the tank segment, um, which we'll come to later. So after this, CCTV is showing Goldberg breaking into the building. This was brilliant. I really like that they use the black and white CCTV for this. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, Bobby Heenan says, oh, this is great. The man is in the building. Uh, don't touch that clicker. Don't go to the fridge. Don't get off that couch. What more do you want from your commentator? Yeah, and and the beauty of this is this is Funder, so this isn't head to head with SmackDown or or uh, Raw. You know, this is that standalone show that's not you know opposed by other wrestling shows, but still the you know putting that demand in the audience to sit through it. And, and, and why wouldn't you? With with how they built it and the suspense they've put in place, I don't think you would move. I wasn't. <laughs> Um, so then we see the police arriving at the building and the cats shouting at them for taking so long to get there. But the policemen don't take shit from the cat. Um, uh, you see Mike Austin arriving in his ambulance in the background. But I guess, again, you know, they've seen it on the CCTV. The police have got backup coming in place. You know, mm. it's kind of just the, the logical steps of how it would actually sort of physically happen. Exactly, and then to but to have that area of the of the the entrance, you know, into the car park, and they've got the cops there for the for Mike Austin to then roll up in the ambulance also makes perfect sense, and it's something that we've been seeing at time of recording um, more and more on on SmackDown. I've actually been watching SmackDown for the last few weeks, and they have that kind of thing of where the stories will intersect backstage, or yeah. you'll see something something will happen, so you'll hear or see something happen in the background, and you move on to that. Or, you know, somebody will fight through one of the, you know, fight through an interview or something like that. It feels like a world again. Yeah, there was a bit a couple of weeks ago on SmackDown. They were interviewing someone uh, backstage. I think it might have been Natalia or something. And he saw some police running in the background. And Pat McAfee said, oh, I wonder what that was. Yeah. And they haven't touched it yet. But I'm wondering if, they're go if it's going to be something like in the future. Yeah, maybe. And I think, uh, I don't watch Raw, but I'm sure I saw something about, there was a car crash or something in the background of uh, of one of the Raws a couple of weeks ago. Did that amount to anything, do you know? No, not as far as I'm aware, although we've got such a delay at this point, people are going to go, oh, it's a six-week-old storyline, you know. Yeah, exactly. So. Came back <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> I can't. 
<laughs> I can't believe the Brooklyn Brawler won the WWE Undisputed Universal <laughs> title at uh, Clash at the Castle. That was a swerve I didn't see coming. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So next up, it's Corporal Cajun, uh, Lash LaRue versus Mike Awesome. Mike Tanay's hyping DDP versus Mike Awesome. Yeah, so this is another very quick, but hard, but you know, decent enough match. It's, it's your classic sort of big man, little man cage is trying to counter the power with speed and, and agility, but you know, a good big one's always going to beat a good little one. Yeah, Awesome's going for the awesome bomb through the table, uh, but DDP stops him. Yeah. Awesome takes DDP out with the halo and puts DDP through the table with an awesome bomb. And then places the halo on top of him. He does, and and one, and this is the uh, contrary to what you were saying earlier. This is the exception to the rule. This is the um, the heel looking very strong. Yeah, no, de- definitely he looked really strong here. Um, obviously, they've had everything going between them. Although DDP has been quite a dick in this few, so I don't know who who really is the heel. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To be fair, <laughs> it's heel versus heel. <laughs> Uh, heel versus heel is pretending to be fair, and from the Hulk Hogan school of being a face, and the limo <laughs> arrives, and whole Hollywood Hogan is in the limo. How late uh, is he to work? Uh, he's uh, stealing Kevin Nash's gimmick, isn't he? Uh, we're in Bischoff's office. Um, Bischoff is telling the police to arrest Goldberg on site. Kimberly wants an espresso because she just cares about herself, and yes. uh, the police are all infatuated with Kimberly. Yeah, completely not doing the jobs. No, next up, it's a World Tag Team Championship match. It's G.I. Bro and General Rection with Major Guns versus Stasiak and Palumbo. I was not looking forward to this match at all when I saw it on the listing. But do you know what? Up until the up until the finish, it's in half bad. So you liked when the three-star general uh, was in the crowd? No, not that bit. No. The stuff that happened in the ring. The three-star general, and I, I've tried to find out who he is, and I believe it's Hugh Morris's shoot dad. Oh, God. The call on commentary, Hugh Morris's granddad. Fucking hell. Yeah, and he was last on Nitro on the 20th of December, uh, 1999. Fucking hell. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, they're trying, trying to pull him in. There are rumours online, I don't know if this is true, that for basically a month's worth of appearances, they paid him 20 grand. Okay. Now, I don't know if that's true at all. That's not bad. It's definitely not in the WCW salary information that was released as the, um, you know, the court documents. So, who knows? This this is just a rumour that isn't substantiated by official documentation and there is a lot of it for wcw but who knows maybe maybe you should have asked for more money eric bishop would have paid him double yeah i should have done well uh, atm the trouble <laughs> the, the trouble with atm eric in this point in wcw history is that his reach is maxing out his daily limit having to pay a tank habit <laughs> <laughs> and tanks worth every penny yeah yeah, Eric Bischoff had to have 100 debit cards that Tank Abbott like, took him to the ATM with and just kept some rotating for his current account. <laughs> oh, brilliant. But Tank was fine with that because it felt like uh, going to the pay window many, many times. 
Yeah, and an ATM is like a pay window. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Freestyle General is perving over, over Major Guns. Yeah, that was also bad. Also, actually, saying about the in-ring stuff, uh, Stasiak did manage to make it look like he somehow sandbagged a back elbow that he threw. You know, like the flying back elbows. He managed, like, normally, you know, they hit the back elbow and then they spin through. Yeah. He just hit the back elbow and managed to drop like a sack of potatoes. Okay. I've never seen it done like that before. It just it just struck me as really weird. I don't know why. I've seen I've seen that move done so many times and I've never seen it done like that. Yeah, um, uh, and this is second generation wrestler Sean Stasiak. <laughs> so son of WWF champion Sean the Man Stasiak. And then you've got General Rection popping off a spinning heel kick, which is pretty good. Yeah, you have. Yeah, I think there was um, you know some, some um, big beefy men, um, big meaty men slapping meat in this match. There were, yeah, yeah. There was a, the crowd were definitely up for the uh, for the hot tag to uh, to GI Bro. Yes, yeah, I've got that in my notes. Plumber wins up um, hitting Rection with the Lex Flexor for the three count at the to end the match. Yeah, and just at the end of my note, just at the end of that, I've got just all I've got in my notes is who is that old fucker? Yeah, he, he just won't go away. Yeah, he faints at the end of the match. I think just, well, I wonder why. I wonder why he pretended to pass out. Mm, yeah. Mm. After what we saw earlier. Yeah, moving swiftly on. Yes. Um, so the cat comes to the ring. Uh, he oh, calls. You've, you've missed the. You've missed Chronic coming out to fight Perfect Event. Oh yes, they have. Yeah, Chronic come out and beat up the heels, don't they? Yeah. Stasiak gets military pressed in and, and chucked into the ring, and Palumbo gets absolutely launched. Yeah, uh, and more big meaty men slapping meat. Yeah, and they get they hit a high time on uh, on one of them. I can't remember who, but yeah, it's again. The, the, I will say that every match has led has fed somehow into the goings on at Great American Bash. It's so it, 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 the purpose is there. They are, but they are trying to add to the build. It's just as I said before, it, it just doesn't feel necessary. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Next cat comes out to the ring. He calls the uh, fans rednecks and fat asses and then does his little dance. Oh, I'm so bored of this routine. Yeah. I'm going to do I'm gonna do a dance before my match. Fuck off. Nobody cares. You're not, even get, you're not even making me love to hate you. You're just making me want to fast forward. Now, one thing I did notice in this match, I thought commentary have got a lot of space around them. I wonder why. Hmm. Hmm. Funny. Interesting. Yeah. Sting comes out and he's got his great um, WCW entrance that we, we all love. Vampiro's out very soon at the start of this match. He, straight, he sprays Sting with a fire extinguisher uh, before the match even starts. Before uh, Sting's intro is even finished. Yeah. He, he does the scorpion death drop on Sting and then he pours petrol on the announce table and sets it on fire. But did you see where he got the petrol in the blowtorch from? Well, it was under the ring, wasn't it? It was under the announce table. Oh, right. So, uh, Bobby Heenan. So it, it, it was by Bobby Heenan's feet. How the fuck did he not know it was there? Uh, well, I mean, Bobby Heenan would have sold it to him, in all fairness, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, this is, this is touching my leg, therefore it's my personal property. You might have left it here, but if you want it back... <laughs> In actual fact, it would have been better if we'd seen Vampiro, you know, slip Bobby Heenan $20 or something. That would have made it, yeah. Yeah. 
Then Sting uses the fire extinguisher on Vampiro and the table. You know, safety first. Yeah. And I, I quite he missed a splash on the barricade, did Sting, after this. And that, it looked brutal. You know, it looked like it really hurt me in that splash. But then Vampiro essentially bookends Sting on the solid table. And that looked even worse. That looked like it's so much more painful. Yeah. Oh, no, that's solid. Yeah, oh, no, it, it is. Uh, we get Vampiro sitting on uh, Sting. And uh, Vampiro says, tonight was just wood. Someday it's going to be our flesh. I'm glad your WCW 2000 powers of translation from season one kicked in there because I couldn't understand what Vampiro was saying. <laughs> uh, we get highlights of what just happened in the next scene. We see Sting walking out of the arena, um, refusing medical attention. Yeah, that's, um, but again, it's making the uh, it's making the face weaker. You know, like, like I said before, it's, you know, there's no real kink in Vampiro's armour there, is there? Well, uh, if Bobby Heenan might refuse to uh, sell him petrol. <laughs> I imagine if Bobby Heenan was still in that racket today, he'd be making millions. He, he would, yeah. Yeah, if he'd kept hold of that jerry can. Uh, commentary refusing to sit back at the desk. So, you know, they've uh, obviously rumbled the trouble. Um, the Moon Jean's in the ring, and uh, we get an interview with Hollywood Hogan. Yeah. I very much enjoyed the Terry Belayer stuff. I, I liked Hollywood Hogan in his main run. It just feels like we've stepped back a bit into a bit of the crappy Hulk Hogan promos. Uh, don't get me wrong, we aren't at Yappa Pie stage again yet. No. But it feels like a step backwards from where we've been. My entire summation of this, I've made a few notes about what he said, but it's all typical Hogan bullshit. And all I've got at the end of it is bring back Terry Belayer. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. He does call Billy Kidman. Uh, he says he'll always be branded as the flea market champion, which goes back to you know the comments Hogan made on the radio that had, you know made them end up having this rivalry um, to begin with. Yeah, he says Horace is a bad apple. Yeah, I mean that, that's real tough talk, isn't it, Hulk? Also a bit fucking rich. Yeah, it doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? No. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it was typical Mean Gene Hogan ass looking, which obviously Mean Gene's there to do, and just more Hogan bollocks. It was slightly more coherent than usual because I guess it's because he was in the Hollywood fit, you know, the Hollywood gimmick. But ultimately, it did very little to add to my excitement for Great American Bash. Yeah, uh, and then next we see Steiner walking backstage with Shakira and Madeja, and that gets us into the second town segment, which will end the show. So, so just before we get into the tank segments, it looks like you might have refilled your beer selection. Yeah, I'm just about to come to an end on that uh, blueberry lemon drizzled donut sour from New Bristol, which was bloody gorgeous. And then uh, I'm moving on to, when I can remember what it is, a tiny rebel imperial maple bourbon pecan pie pastry stout at 9%, which I'm assuming will be bloody gorgeous. And it is, as ever with tiny rebel, some bloody good can art with oh. the, uh, the tiny rebel bear. On the front, holding uh, actually, it's holding a little orb, and inside it, you can see more of the tiny rebel bears uh, as if they're brewing and, uh, and tasting the beer. It's, yeah. it's yeah, it's really good. And there's like a there's a pink, red, and, uh, and purple sort of cityscape behind it. It's, it's it's far more impressive than a can should ever be. 
I must admit, talking about Tiny Rebel, um, we uh, I drank that exclusively on the Wrestler episode that we did. Re- recently watched the Dynamite where CM Punk returned and he cut his shoot promo on Hangman Page. I don't know. Uh, I know the internet loved it. I, I-, I just thought it-, it was a bit of confusing AEW storytelling. And I must admit, straight after that promo, I re- wanted to refresh my palate and slap some wrestler on and I, I had a jolly good time. <laughs> uh, to quote my uh, to quote my co-host on uh, uh, on the Doctor Who pod, Cy Powell, I ain't seen that. I've, 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 fallen off the, I've fallen off watching AEW in a similar way to me falling off watching uh, watching Raw and SmackDown to a point. Where, because I've got these ongoing problems with my skybox, yeah, I just I've got other things that I'll prioritise, and I've just fallen so far behind over the weeks that it's going to take something incredibly special to bring me back. Now it, it's it's worked with SmackDown. I've heard all the good things with with Triple H, so I've now got a, I've, I've made a you know regular slot on a Saturday morning where I'll wake up and watch a show for now. Mm. But I just I, I don't. By the time this comes out, it might have changed, but it's just not must see for me anymore. Um, I mean, there's still there's still some good bits in it, um, and I mean, I've always, uh, well, with most wrestling promotions these days, uh, you know, I think that there's definitely missteps that they make and bits that would make it better for me. So I've I've not fallen off with aew but it does feel like they're making more missteps now than they had done previously and i know to a certain extent the the bloom is off the rose and the honeymoon period's over i'm not necessarily in in that ballpark so I, I, I was never sort of emperor's new clothes with them um, no. but yeah and I, and I think part of the problem I, I guess part of the problem is that when you come into it thinking well they're giving me a bit of a confusing narrative confusing narrative with what they do and there isn't that coherence there then when they do something you know like that work shoot it, it doesn't get to land with me because it, it wasn't set up in an environment where i was open to thinking anything else than than this is a writing cock up yeah i understand where you're coming from uh i really do it's and i, like, I can't comment because i'm not seeing it um I wish no ill will towards AEW. I, I hope it carries on. I hope it thrives because more wrestling and more places for the wrestlers to work is is good for business. You know, it's good for the wrestling industry as a whole. But it's just not high on my list of priorities right now. I've, I've but you know, I, I really really loved NWA and went out of my way to watch that at a point, and I've kind of fallen off with that now, which is a real shame. Going into at the time of recording, going into NWA seventy four this weekend, where I'm seriously debating. You know, I want to try and catch up, but if I can't catch up, do I bother getting in WA seventy four? Do I bother dropping forty quid on that? Yeah, well, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Quid, you know, for, for a wrestling pay per view when you know. Well, that, that, that's that, that's for two nights, in fairness. But when the main event is, I'll, don't get me wrong, I love Trevor Murdoch, love his work, but when he's facing Tyrus, yeah, Tyrus. Really? Fucking Tyrus. I, I haven't watched NWA for a while, so I, I don't know what job they've done with the build, but it doesn't... Um, it, was, it, was, it, was supposed to, it was supposed to be all this, but again, I don't know if they're trying to bleed in... If, if real life is bleeding into the story 
or vice versa. But um, all this has been pulled, and Billy Corgan's conducted multiple interviews um, where he's outright called Nick Aldis a politicker. All right. Um, and said he didn't like the way he was conducting himself, and how he went about getting, you know, basically Corgan alluding to saying he, he feels manipulated by all this. But is with it being wrestling, is it a work? Is it a shoot? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, you know, we're now three, four days at time recording away. Do I really care? Because you've still got, rather than giving us the story match, the, you know, Murdoch all this again, we've got Tyrus in there, who's being level at best in that promotion. Yeah, yeah, not good. In terms of beers that I've gone into... Um, oh, yeah, sorry, what were you drinking? <laughs> so, Twisted Wheel Brew, Cosmic Haze, which is a 5% pale ale. And then after that, I've got an Oval Beach Blonde Ale from Sagtuck Brewery, which is another 5%. So, yeah, keep, keeping it um, light for a school night. Yeah, well, I wasn't planning on having, the, on having a 9%, but it's all I've got in, so... Yeah, it'd be right, won't it? Yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, so at the start of the first tank segment, as you already alluded to, the Mamelukes are celebrating on the runway. Tank Abbott, from behind, he spins big, uh, big Vito around, and he gets a straight right, and a straight right to join the ball. He spins them around, then spins the jaws, and then they end up on the floors. He does, he does. So, you know, keep account at the pay window. Tank's coming. Mike Tanay says, an angry Tank Abbott took out both Mamelukes. Observant there, Mike, that's why you're the professor. Yeah, Bobby Heenan says he's always angry, but now he's even more angry than ever. (laughs) Yeah, that does make grammatical sense. Someone in the crowd has a sign, and on top of each other, in black, are the letters TBS, and then going off the T, there's Tank, and around the B, there's Abbott, and around the S, there's Stinks, and some um, stink (laughs) marks coming off the word Stinks. Um, you know, an attempt was made. Fair enough. I, I noticed the sign that said "Tank Abbott fears the spear." Yes, yeah, that that was there too. Tank Abbott tells the crowd to shut up, and uh, he is looking pissed, and the crowd's booing him. He said, uh, "Goldberg, we're uh, not done. We're far from done. You got lucky." And then he's bleeped uh, out whatever he said. But but he does say as well that that's the fight game. Everybody gets lucky once, and in in essence, he's. he's... He's got a point. You know, we've seen upsets yeah, yeah. in boxing, we've seen upsets in MMA, we see upsets in wrestling. So it's entirely natural that Tank wants a rematch. Yeah, definitely. Um, he says, anywhere, anytime, the crowd are chanting for Goldberg. Uh, Bobby Heenan says, gentlemen, the chants are back. Yeah, <laughs> they certainly are. And then uh, he calls uh, Scott Stein. <laughs> Sorry, carry uh, on. No, I was just going to say, I don't think we can overlook how much Tank has rebuilt Goldberg at this stage, oh, he yeah. had a one-sided rivalry with him, you know, the, just him and the monster truck rather than Goldberg's, you know, they, they popped that big attendance for the Atlanta show, the, the, you know, the hyped it up. Uh, and that, you know, obviously there's the mythos of Goldberg in there, but Tank's done a sterling job of rebuilding that character while he's been away. Absolutely. Tank has been the one there week after week, busting his ass, trying to get people interested. And not only in him, but like you said, Goldberg himself, he's put in the legwork. Yeah, yeah. Goldberg's name and, la- and presence at the last minute might have got people, might have got more people to come down in Atlanta, you know, with it being his, his hometown. 
Yeah. But everything up to that point was built on Tank's shoulders. Yeah, definitely. Tank says, Big Papa Pump, there's a Big Papa Chump. When I yeah. see you at Great American Bash, I'm going to make you my freak. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> what did George Sakai? Because I'm going to get um, crazy in the asylum and um, shove your head up your backside and Bobby Heenan says he won't like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, the funny thing about that is it, that's the sort of comment I could hear being passed by, like, my granddad. You know, if he, if he was watching some with me and he was trying to take the piss. But with Bobby Heenan, it's almost dead serious. Well, he wouldn't like that. No, it's, I, I don't think it'd be physically possible. I, I don't know, it's Tank that's doing it. And there's a possibility of a payment at the end of it. So it's physically possible. So it's physically possible, <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah. Tank says, tonight I want somebody that's big, tough and sexy. And Tony Schiavone oh, says, we know someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, that, that was kind of, um, that was almost like holiday camp-esque for me, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. And uh, Tank Abbott says, um, Kevin Nash, I know that you're in the back. So if uh, you think you're bad enough, why don't you come out here and get some? Basically, we go to the break with um, Tank Abbott slagging off. Kevin Nash. Now, in my head canon, uh, you know, obviously they brought in, you know, Wildcat Willie and the Nitro Girls to entertain the crowd while uh, they were at the break in WCW. I like to think that Tank was slagging everyone off during the break. I assume it was while Wildcat Willie and the Nitro Girls were doing their thing. Yeah, I think Wildcat Willie came out and Tank straight right. (laughs) Absolutely, it's another pay. Another payment. Yeah. But, um, it just, the problem is watching it all back to back and without the ad break, it just feels like it goes on a little bit too long. Yeah, but that's purely because of the format we're watching it, and that's nothing against um, nothing against Tank or anybody else really. But I do like you know he's going on calling them hillbilly idiots, talking yeah. shit at Nash. You know, saying you know, where's the tough guys? And we see actually see Nash sat backstage, and you know if Tank fakes punching an audience member, still calling him out, and he, then he yeah. gets to the announce table and he threatens. He threatens Heenan and Tanae because there's only two there at this point. Yeah, and Bobby Heenan says, um, he's never liked you, I always have. <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, half right. Heenan's always liked Tank Abbott, even if he did try and get him called a stupid nickname. Yeah, the, the handful. Uh, and then Tank Abbott says to a guy in the crowd, you don't want some, uh, you big idiot. Um, I'll give you the beating of your life. <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant. Um, and then he, he he finds, you know, starts talking shit to a kid. He does. Well, he's taken a leaf out of Vince Russo's book and he's thought, I could be up a 12-year-old. Yes. How many, how many 12-year-olds do you think Tank Abbott could knock out before he got bored? <laughs> you know, would you rather fight a, um, a duck-sized horse or 112-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's, but the kid, with balls of absolute steel, throws his drink in Tank's face, and he just bolts for it. But then we find out that that's actually Tony Schiavone's son. Yeah, uh, well, before he bolts for it, uh, Tank steals some of it, a handful of his popcorn and starts eating it. And then when he's got one piece <laughs> left, he throws it back in his face. 
<laughs> oh yeah, it was funny. It was yeah, all good uh, stuff. Uh, as you say, uh, Mike Tanner saying that's John Michael Schiavone. Bobby Heenan saying, uh, <laughs> shouting, run for your life, John Michael. <laughs> Tony Schiavone and two police officers are backing John Michael away at quite a distance away from Tang. Now, I, I was looking round for this, and uh, Tony Schiavone says that in the creative meeting, it was suggested that he would square up against Tang Abbott and Tang Abbott would knock him out. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> And Tony Schiavone was like, uh, no. We've been trying to explain kayfabe to him for six months. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to run the risk of having to eat through a straw for the rest of my life. Yeah, Tony Schiavone was uh, well away from him. Although I do like to think that Tank Abbott's like, um, is it Dal Slim on um, Street Fighter 2, where he has the really long arms? I can't remember now. It's been a long time since I played Street Fighter 2. Yeah, that, that guy with the real long arms. But yeah, imagine tanks like that. But before Tank gets uh, the chance to show us his big extendy arms, Kevin Nash's music hits. It does, and he comes to the ring, and he's looking an only cool and handsome. Yeah, Bobby Heenan says it would have been way too easy for Tank Abbott to beat up that 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I think he got his notes for, uh, for Tank and Russo mixed up. Yeah, well, I mean, in all fairness, Russo made good time with that 12-year-old. <laughs> Which makes you think that Tank would have absolutely battered him in about half a second. Yeah. Uh, although, to be fair, John Michael Schiavone doesn't have the amateur credentials of Reed Flair. <laughs> <laughs> John Michael Schiavone versus Reed Flair for the, for the, cru- the junior cruiserweight title. Yeah, oh, bring it on, bring it on. The bell rings, um, Nash goes, you know, he's uh, trying to land his knees on Tank and Tank's punching to the ribs as they lock together. Um, Nash is punching Tank's back and then Tank's trying to get more shots into the ribs. Yeah, and then pretty much Rick Steiner interferes and it's DQ'd. Well, I think, the, um, to be fair, it was waved off as a no contest at this point. Because, yes, Rick Steiner comes in and attacks Nash from behind, but um, Scott Steiner's very quickly into the ring and goes straight for Tank. Yeah, yeah, he so does. I, I actually have this as 17-4 and 3 rather than 17-3 and 4. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. It's, it's a no concept. Well, cage match aren't going to argue. This is a hidden match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, you, fuck you, cage match. We make our own rules. Well, no, you have to go from us because we're the first people to record this one. <laughs> yeah. We make your rules cage match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll call it a no contest. But um, somebody just points out, just alluding to the stipulation, and actually saying that Tank won't be able to reserve, sun- uh, won't be able to run Sunday because uh, obviously it's an asylum match with a circle cage. But personally, I think it's quite smart to preserve himself for the Great American Bash. Yeah, he's been looking forward to it. You know, he's, he's going to get a big payday for being at uh, pay-per-view, so he, yeah. he's really happy about that. So, Rick and Tank roll out of the ring. They're uh, backing up the ramp, shouting at um, Nash and uh, Scott Steiner. Um, Scott and Nash shake hands, uh, and Bischoff is out at the top of the ramp with Tank and Rick, and he says... Um, Scotty, I'm a little tired of you and uh, Big Dopey there and your run-ins, so I'm going to tell you uh, what, Scotty. Um, you just earned yourself a shot at the New Blood Gauntlet. Yay, another one 
what's this, twice in, in a week? Yeah, twice in a week. So Nash on Nitro and um, Scott Steiner on Thunder. And he says, Kevin, if you interfere in this match, you lose your title shot at Great American Batch. And if Bill Goldberg shows up, I'll have him arrested. Yeah, because then there's no way he can turn up at Great American Batch. And the last shot we see is Tank Abbott stroking his beard and laughing. Which is enough to spark fear into anybody. Well, yeah, I mean, imagine if Tank was in the gauntlet, then that would uh, change uh, the dynamic of it. Um, yeah, so it's the second Tank uh, Abbott se- segment. Uh, Scott Steiner comes out to the ring, is with Medeja and Shakira, who see- seem to have pom-poms sewn into the wrists. Yeah, a bit weird, that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Commentary are hyping Tamp versus Scott Steiner at um, Great American Bash. Yeah, he um, cuts a promo that's not about his penis. Yeah, I, I noted that. That was very notable. I mean, what, what what's happening here? Why is no he talking do- about his cock? It's getting serious. No donger talk now. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's had standards and practices. I'm surprised Miss Hancock wasn't there behind him with the clipboard. <laughs> I'm surprised that, I'm surprised they've not renamed Medeja and Shakira standards and practices. <laughs> yeah. So Bischoff is out with the new blood. Um, Tony Giovanni says... This is all part of Bischoff's plan to make sure there is a soft, big papa pump for Tank Abbott at Great American Bash. Oh, sorry. One thing that uh, Steiner did say in the promo as well is that I quite liked. Uh, he said he asks a favour of Tank Abbott. He says, put some front teeth in so I've got something to knock out. Yeah, to knock down your throat. Oh, to knock down your throat. Was that it? Uh, yeah, no, I did I like, like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I love these new blood gauntlets, how Candido just eats shit within a few seconds. Well, he's still reeling from being kicked by a horse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Candido is out first. Um, Kevin Nash is watching backstage. Now, I like to think at this moment, Kevin Nash is pitching for Dragon's Den because he's got a little TV that's underneath a fax machine and, like, can sat directly next to a phone and Nash is thinking to himself, I've got this invention that's a phone, a fax machine and a TV <laughs> and it's all in one and he's going to go and pitch it. But in the year 2000, if you put all them together, that would have been like $1,000. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, that, that would have been uh, a, an immense product. You know, I think Kevin Nash has invented the smartphone at this point. Getting it down to pocket size. Yeah, well, that's like for Kevin Nash, that is a handheld. To be fair, yes, that does fit in Kevin Nash's pocket. Yeah. It's a a handheld device for people over seven foot. Yeah, so Kevin Nash has got four yeses from the Dragons and is uh, uh, going to debate whose offer he's going to take. I think he's going to say Debra's. Duncan Duncan Ballantyne would be all over it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But back in the ring, uh, we get a super gut wrench suplex from Stein to Candito, and we get the free pound. Oh, that was mint! I love that. Second out is Sean Stasiak, and um, basically, uh, it's a belly to belly and a three count for Steiner. Yeah, then we get Palumbo in with the Lex Flexer, and uh, Nash what is watching backstage, and he gets up out of his chair. But, you know, Steiner kicks out Palumbo. For some reason, Bicep curls Medeja and gets a punch in the dick and put in the Steiner recliner. 
Yeah, that was weird that uh, Palumbo took time out to um, be doing reps with Medeja. Yeah, and even even commentary called it out. Said, "Why? What the fuck was he doing?" Mm, I don't know. It is um, resistance training with uh, free weights, isn't it? <laughs> but then the cat comes in and he's choking Stanner with a scarf. And what I love about this is Stanner just turns around. <laughs> the look of shock on Cat's face. <laughs> The, the one entertaining thing he's done in this show, despite being involved in 15 segments, and Steiner just hits the overhead belly to belly and then grabs the recliner. But what I did like here as well is Mike Orson coming off the top rope with the big clothesline while Steiner had the recliner in. Yeah. I thought, I thought that looked mint. It did. It looked really good. And and Douglas runs in and does that uh, running reverse net breaker on him. Yes, that looks mint. Yeah. That, yeah, that really did look mint. But one of the best bits of this, and it, it annoys me because I don't like giving credit to this to, to this person for anything. Nash leaves his locker room and Jarrett's immediately there to bash him with the guitar. I don't know why you're so down on Kevin Nash. I mean, but apart from that. You know full well I mean Jeff Jarrett. In this one instance, he was quite good at following instructions. To be to be absolutely fair to Kevin Nash, if he hadn't been so bad at booking in 2000, we'd have never got to this point. This is very true. Yeah. Yeah, this is very true, but still, he killed WCW. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it was it was a good guitar shot and quite cleverly done because it shows that uh, Bischoff, at least, knew what Nash was going to do. He knew he'd interfere and he had an insurance policy. Yeah, he does. He sends um, Rick Steiner and Tank Abbott down. Tank Abbott has a body bag under one arm. He does. I wonder if it's the same one Norman Smiley hit him. I, I believe it is. I believe it is. I think they fished it out of the canal that they threw Norman Smiley in. <laughs> you can still faintly smell Norman's piss. Uh, I'm surprised Meng wasn't running after it because he picked up the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as it could, as soon as it got it out of the river. But it's a nice tie-in because that was Tank's first match, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. They attack Scott Steiner, um, the bell rings, uh, all the heels are in the ring. Uh, Rick holds Scott Steiner up and it's a straight right from Tank and that uh, callus on Steiner's face is improving again. <laughs> at, the, at this point, he's eating so many big rights from Tank that it's got to be doing something bad. He must have a brain like scrambled eggs. Oh, it must be like you press his nose and it must squeak like a... No. <laughs> like a dog's chew toy. Yeah. Sounds like an accordion when you press his face. <laughs> it ends up looking like a, like the front of a spoon. Yeah. Tony Schiavone shouts, it's on. Tank and Rick put the straight jacket on Scott Steiner. Uh, and Bobby Heenan says, uh, well, then, this should have been done a long time ago. Now, it, it takes a long time for the graphics department to come up with the images for the pay-per-views. Mm. And I think it's WCW Mayhem in December that has Scott Steiner in a straight jacket on the, yeah. on the cover. Um, yeah. I, I think there's actually... You know, I think they actually tied it in to the design and have a straight jacket match with Booker T at that was point. That, was that the one they've covered on Nitro Nights a couple of times? 
Quite possibly, but I mean, he's in the straight jacket from that. And I wonder if, um, you know, they'd done the pictures for this at, the, at that point. Yeah, it is Mayhem 2000 that's, uh, that's standard breaking out of the straight jacket. Yeah, and they tie it in. And obviously, that would have been too quick a turnaround at that point for that straight jacket match. So I wonder if, you know, this is the genesis of that. Yeah, it could be. Could quite easily be. Yeah. Um, although we get a shitty cartoon um, uh, cover for the Great American Bash 2000. I've actually looked it up. I can't remember what it is now. Yeah. I want to be surprised. I've deliberately looked as little up about about uh, Great American Bash 2000 as as I can because I just want to go in with uh, with fresh eyes. See, I'm really worried about this because we've had an amazing build and built it up in our minds and anything short of WrestleMania 17 is going to be a massive disappointment for us. Oh, no. No, it's not because I um, I live in the assumption that while I'm hoping for the best, I expect the worst. Yeah. So we'll, I'm we'll, expecting we'll, it to be abject shit. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about either way. Tony Schiavone says, um, what a grand way the new blood um, to go out four days away from the Great American Bash. And and it's right, it is. You know, he heals up before the pay per view. That's exactly what you want. Tank and Rick put the straight jacketed Scott Steiner into a body bag. Bobby Heenan says he's going to chew his way out. <laughs> <laughs> With Steiner, I kind of believe it. Mm. Yeah, I kind of believe it. But as the as they've got him in the body bag, whose music hits? It's Goldberg. So good, so good. He's into the ring is uh, attacked by the rest of the heels he ends up powering them off and then he punches candido douglas cat awesome palumbo stasiak uh he throws candido out of the ring but who doesn't he get because they're too busy dragging scott steiner off in a body bag to be fair, get tank and rick i don't think they ran away they they had a job to do yeah they had other shit to do they had more pressing matters yeah, Cat uh, does the Karate Kid pose. <laughs> Goldberg straight writes him. <laughs> Again, genuinely entertained to stop Cat's right twice, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, and uh, then he does like the gorilla press into a power bomb on Douglas. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was good. It was, you know, Goldberg's looking strong. He's looking massive. It's a great way to end any show. But is it the end? No, because in the last 10 seconds, Bischoff is out there with the police and Bischoff says, oh, Billy, consider yourself arrested. And we see the police head into the ring as the show fades to black in an era that didn't really have social media. and You know, not everyone had the Internet and stuff. Cracking way to end a show. I mean, I know there's been bits of this show that have treaded water, but in terms of the, the last thing you see on this show going to Great American Bash... Cops go to arrest Goldberg, Steiner in a body bag. Heels had the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Uh, it made me watch to the end, and that's no mean feat. No, it, it was a great way to end the show. To my mind, this show felt like in the first half of the show, they were treading water, and then it kind of stepped up in the second half. And, you know, we got the Sting Vampiro bits. We, we got this bit. We got, you know, both of the sort of tank app. Abbott segments, um, it, it really felt like they, they'd kicked up a gear in the, in the last hour. Yeah, it was really, basically, you know, Mamelukes versus the Wall was was all right. It was decent, and then it but it leads into the tank stuff, and from there, 
it's yeah, it's really hit its stride. Apart from maybe you know the uh, the Hogan promo wasn't great, but yeah, that wasn't great. But yeah, overall the the second half much better than the first. Because I was watching the first half and I was like, you know, this this is just like a five. You know that this is just. It, it, it took the wind out of the sails a bit. It did, yeah. Yeah. It didn't massively damage my, my hype for Great American Bash because we've seen so much good. It'd be unfair to then watch the one show and go, well, that's crap. I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. But yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was crap, though. And I, I, I was thinking about what goes into a five, and I, I'll come on to this in a, you know, a future episode of, uh, or probably. I, I, should have, sorry, I, should, I should have said comparatively crap. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I was just thinking because you get some fives that are just a bit meh, you know, yeah. the, not it's just everything's just in the words of mjf mid and then some fives that uh you've got half of the show that's awful and half the show that's good and Mm -hmm. it's sort of average out and you know so you you can end up with two very different fives Uh, i think the last hour you know definitely kicks on i think we ended you know the first half was a bit steady away and then you know we think you've got the the first half you've got a five yeah the second half, and especially with the ending, you've got a 7.5 to an 8, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So it averages out at you know, about 6, 6.5-ish, yeah, yeah. thereabouts. Graham will, Graham will be uh, appalled by my quick-fire math skills there. <laughs> a 6, 6.5 feels right for this show. And normally that would be quite decent for some of the stuff that we've watched but it feels like a bit of an anti-climax but, but, but we've been having we've been having eight eight point five nine nine point fives yeah yeah the nitros and thunders so again that, that's what i meant when i said comparatively crap yeah yeah it, it's funny that a 6.5 which, which um you know i, I wouldn't have given <laughs> um so some episodes of recent wrestling even even with their improvements yeah you know, so it, it is what it is. There, there are no reviews. For, there are no ratings for the Sun Cage match. There is one comment though, mm-hmm. and the comment is: "This is one of the worst funders yet." Idiot. To be fair, though, if they'd only watched like the last four, it is. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But... If they'd watched all the funders, I, I, I hardly disagree. If if they've all, if they watched the last month, uh, and this is the one they've come in so then it is the worst of the, the last month. Yeah, fair enough. I'll go along with that. So, you know, that didn't want to give context. I just wanted to be annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that is the case. I think the person probably is saying ever, but... Yeah, they're just shitting on it for shitting on its sake. Yeah, there, there's a possibility that they could be right if you, if you um, slice and dice it. Nah. They're not right. <laughs> this was fun. I was worried about it, but yet again, I should have trusted WCW 2000 to deliver in the end. Trusting Bischoff and Russo. Yeah, well, we won't, we won't have them for much longer, so um, make the most of them while they're here, sort of thing. Oh, God. <laughs> I dread to think, well, in fact, I say I dread to think, kind of knows what happens after, and I'm looking forward to seeing you know the rest of Tank's WCW career, but it, I, I know for a fact that I'm going to in some ways, miss this this golden era of Tank Abbott. It's going to be a shift change uh, coming up, definitely. But in terms of the Nitros, uh, yeah, obviously, we, we do know from season one we're going to hit you know the, the rocky period very soon between Russo and Bischoff. And then uh, it's kind of where we go from 
where we go from there. So in terms of sort of shout outs and comments that we've had for the show, King's Bladders at King's Pig Bladders has uh, created a movie poster for that time that uh, Tank Abbott starred in the Italian job. Oh, God, he did, didn't he? This was brilliant. Because you're only supposed to punch the bloody doors off. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So got a, a direct message from Perry Roberts Jr. at um, PR Jr. 80. Uh, and he said, can we honestly say that the WCW power plants was the uh, um, was only there to take advantage of marks who thought they could walk into the business? And uh, we've pointed out that there was one graduate of the WCW power plants that had to be paid to be there. And that is one Mr. Tank Abbott. Mr. David Tank Abbott. Yeah, definitely. Sid the Bud Tender at Sid Rotten 420 said Tank Abbott was one of the lead programmers at Netflix before they blew up. And some people say that thanks to Tank Abbott, Netflix is as popular as it is today. I have heard that, to be fair. Yeah, he he went into that um, around about 2004, I think. Yeah. King's Pig Bladders said that, uh, because there was a rumour that Tank Abbott uh, made all the WCW talent give them, despite Tank Abbott being given, uh, and we'll come to this at the end in Tank Facts. In fact, we'll give it now. Tank Abbott in WCW, despite being given free catering, uh, still required all the members of the roster to give him their quote-unquote dinner money. Yeah, this is true. King's Plague Bradders has confirmed that Barry Howowitz never had any dinner money. His mum made him pack lunches and uh, Tank Abbott was not impressed. He wasn't impressed, but he still ate his sandwiches. <laughs> and if, they, if Tank Abbott was feeling particularly generous, he'd only take a bite out of each sandwich. Yeah, exactly. And um, we have had it confirmed that Barry Howowitz turned up to Nitro with peanut butter and banana sandwiches. <sighs> Grim. Dan at wins Dan's losses, uh, Uncle Dan, as referred to on Bam Bam Podcast, uh, was saying who out of the current um, uh, New Japan roster do you think could be a legitimate champion in the future? He he'd named only four people that could legitimately be a future New Japan champion of mm-hmm. J.Y. Okada, Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr., but had to concede that they would all lose to Tang Abbott. Yeah, absolutely. The one, and I'm cutting. I missed that because immediately, my thought was, my second thought after Tank Abbott uh, was Shingo. Shingo Takagi could easily be a champion again. He could, and he loves bingo as much as Tank Abbott loves the pay window. Shingo bingo. Bingo. <laughs> Shingo bingo at the pay window. Exactly. Well, once you've been to the pay window, you can afford to go to the bingo. <laughs> <laughs> Danny at Scottish Juggalo said that um, UTT uh, last week was fantastic and um, he loved the WCW 2000 goodness and uh, his partner in podcasting Piss Headery, Chris Bellis at Real uh, Chris Bellis, said that uh, they need to crack on with the next lot of Tank Talks, which uh, we'll be getting in about six episodes from, from now. Oh, can't wait. Love them. Love them boys doing the tank talks first time around. And I know they're absolutely going to smash it uh, second time around as well. I know this won't come out for a, for a, a good few weeks, but and we've we've spoken about it privately. But it's uh, it's great to see uh, great to see the boys back and you know Chris back with um, uh, with acceptable in the nineties and and all of that. 
really uh, really glad to still be associated with him. Yeah, Mark Madden's uh, retweeted some of our commentary from um, UTT. So, uh, Has he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I missed this. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd put on there about uh, Mark Madden saying, uh, and this is from Great American Bash 2000, so I was making oh, my notes. Uh, Sean Stasiak looks like Paul Stanley after a drunk makeup artist has got finished with him. Yeah, I saw you tweeted that. Um, was that from the, the UTT account or from the Tank account? Uh, it was it was from mine. Um, but yeah, I, I, oh, right, I, fair I, enough. But yes, um, Mark Madden did retweet that. But again, uh, along with Big Vito, two, two of the members of WCW 2000 that have sort of supported us with retweets and likes. And you're always welcome on, lads. <laughs> if, if you listen, I doubt you do, but on the off chance, I had to throw it out there. I don't, I don't know. With some of the stuff they've tweeted, they've, uh, they've, they've liked and commented on. It's like, <laughs> you know, and, and they are following us, so who knows? Who knows? Oh, um, there's to dream. <laughs> yeah. Talking about people that are following us, your brother Cam, Cam Griff, uh, 92, said it was another classic uh, UTT. Yeah, um, the sheer excitement that Rob and Dan have for Great American Bash is a highlight for me. But will you ever get there, lads? Yeah. <laughs> it's a fair cop. It's a fair cop. Like, like you replied to that, you know, as long as I stop finding matches, um, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, definitely. With checks worldwide, there are no other matches uh, at this point. So the next one is Great American Bash. And per your suggestion, I will see if we can, me and our kid can at least watch part of it together with big sandwiches. Get yeah, the full 2000 vibe. Yeah, get, get you, know, you, should, you, should, you should come along. Yeah, 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 that sounds good. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have, a, we'll have a sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my man might finally make you that roast dinner. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I've been um, talking about it for a year and a half. Yeah, well, it's a slow roast. <laughs> you fucker, I was having a drink. Nearly ended up with Imperial Stout on my nose. So we know where we're going next. Tank Abbott versus Scott Steiner at the Great American Bash 2000. The best yeah, view ever, I believe. It's, it's, not just, it's not just the match. It's going to be a full Great American Bash 2000 review, basically. With the focus on Tank Abbott, obviously that's that that's our main event. But I'm I'm really excited to look at this. If it's bad, I get to moan about it, which is fun for me. If it's good, I get to gush about more WCW 2000, which is very good for me. Yeah, well, uh, the the one thing we know about this period in June 2000 is that it, it won't be ordinary. I was going to say that, but actually, this first hour of Nitro, this first hour of Thunder was pretty ordinary. So, but it wound up being all right. Wound up being above average overall. So, because we need to trust the process. Trust the process. Trust in Russo and Bischoff in two thousand. Just, I'm the only thing I'm, I know I'm, I'm mentally prepared for is, is Hogan beating Kidman. I, I know I'm going to be annoyed at that. But. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, we kind of know that because of uh, um, Bash of the Beach 2000, don't we? Exactly. Thinking about it, yeah. Yeah, so. but we know it's coming. We can sweep it under the rug. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Human torch match. Someone's going to go on fire. Every The, the IWC hated the um, graveyard match. We fucking loved it. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is our corner of wrestling. 
<laughs> the beach of the beach of the niche. Yeah. Which was surprisingly popular and mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> which which was viewed by more by more people than probably current WWE and current AEW combined. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. It's sad because it's true. It really is. It really is. What we need is we need like we need to do a T-shirt. If we if we were in with merch, we'd need like four boxes within each other, and they'd each be labelled niche. And then in the in the final box, in tiny writing, it'd just say that was actually mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Jesus Christ, Dan, the stuff that we like, you know, WCW 2000, Roller Jam, Baywatch. <laughs> we'll get round to beer. Watch. We'll, we'll get round to Fort Bayard at some point. Oh, I can't wait for Fort Bayard. In fact, uh, we've really fucked this because we're taking longer to get through the tanks than we thought. And one man's me, which is available on this podcast feed, uh, go follow them. Scottish Juggalo Danny and the real Chris Bellis uh, going through the forgotten storylines. Uh, wrestlers in mind not get that much love, that kind of thing. They're doing an FWA episode, and originally we had planned to do our Fort Bayard episode featuring the wrestlers from the FWA at the same time, uh, and we've just been too busy, stuck in 2000 WCW to get around <laughs> to it. We will do at some point, probably, I don't know, about six months from now, but we will get there. Probably about in about the time that uh, Chris and Danny feel they need to go back and revisit the FWA. I mean, it's, you know, it says something about... WCW 2000, when Melinda Messenger isn't even enough of a uh, incentive to get to the FWA. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I had the choice between talking about this show and talking about Fort Boyard with Melinda Messenger. In hindsight, I'd, I'd, I'd probably pick Fort Boyard because I had the biggest crush on Melinda Messenger when I was younger. But is she going to set anyone on fire, Dan? But you never know. You never know. You never know. It could happen. <laughs> and actually, if we get there, and she's not on. I'm not doing it. Doing it, no. no. But, you know, if there's any health and safety concerns, if anyone passes out, Major Guns will be there to give them mouth to mouth. Oh, dear me. We've already said where people can find the One Man's Meat podcast. Where can people find you, Dan? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on the Doctor Who pod with Cy Powell, where by the time this comes out, we'll probably be into season seven. We're currently in season two. Uh, we go we go alternately for episodes of Classic Who and New Who, seeing what lands for me with the classic stuff as a New Who fan and what lands, for, uh, what lands with the... New Who stuff for size as a more classic Who fan, but ultimately it's just two blokes talking about an alien in a blue box, and we enjoy it. And yeah, it, it's kind of I've noticed recently that we very rarely have anything bad, have much bad to say about it, which is not we're not you know we're not blind and we're not blinkered, but it, it's just a fun time. So we're not going to slag anything off just for the sake of it. So you can find me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers. So I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. Um, you can follow this show at UTT Tank, uh, where you get some hashtag Tank facts, mm-hmm. such as 
It was long believed to be a scientific fact that matter could not escape a black hole. But Tank Abbott once called out a black hole and it couldn't escape fast enough. <laughs> I love that one. Archaeologists have confirmed that the Sphinx lost its nose after, quote-unquote, looking the wrong way at Tank Abbott. I mean, if anything, the Sphinx sealed its own death warrant with that. And Tank Abbott breaks the world deadlift record every time he picks up his wallet. Well, yeah, have you seen how many times he's been to the pay window? Exactly, exactly. Uh, he's uh, swabbed there with ATM Eric uh, emptying his account. Um, <laughs> you can follow the main show at UTT Podcast. Season one, we looked at the highest and lowest TV-rated episodes for each creative period of the Monday Night Wars. It's a really good series that in season two, we're looking at... All sorts tired, of shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, the first <laughs> of, of wrestling um, pilots finales, that kind of thing. We recently put out an episode for Tensky versus Smeckle, the oldest surviving wrestling match of all time. Really worth checking out. Yeah. Get, get on it. It's, uh, I, I would hope with some of the stuff that we put on UTT Season 2, it's some of the stuff that doesn't get that much love in the podcast community. Hopefully we're covering stuff that a lot of wrestling podcasts don't get. To, so, you know, really go and check it out. It has become a bit of a sort of a weird and wonderful at times. But this um, Fristensky versus Schmeckel match from 1913, both men led lives worthy of being made into movies. And it, it really was a joy and a pleasure to, to look into them both and to get to talk about them and to see footage from, from way back when, you know, over 100 years ago. And like you said, Rob, I just urge everybody to follow the link have a look on YouTube, watch along with the recording. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I absolutely love doing that one. Uh, I really did. And um, yeah, ho hopefully we keep bucking the trend. Yeah, fingers crossed. I know I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to one of our, um, our other ones, which at the time of recording is upcoming, but will have, I'm assuming will have come out by the time this lands. Luthez's last match? Yes, yeah, that, that should be out probably around the same sort of time that this lands, actually. But, yeah, the Lou Fez match, um, yeah, it was, again, re really interesting, really compelling. Yeah. So, at the very least, listen to the stories. They're, they're incredible. And uh, your regularly scheduled programming of uh, fucking Baywatch or something will be, <laughs> be back with you soon. <laughs> <laughs> but, as always, it's... And we've been angling in front of the listeners... Uh, Jackie Palo on Are You Being Served for a very long time, and we really do get for that. <laughs> oh, God. The thing is, so we've not actually, we were saying this off air, we, we've not got that many more tankatories to do, and it, it's been an absolute joy to do it, and I, and I will miss doing this once it's gone, but it does mean that all this stuff that we talk about, the Jackie Palo on Are You Being Served, Baywatch episode, all of that. It means they can just start. We can just start rolling them out week after week, thick and fast. So, stick with us, folks. We'll get there. Thank you for listening. How about you, punk? I know who your daddy is. That's Tony Schiavone's son. Some of this popcorn, boy. That's John. That's that's John Michael Schiavone. Oh, he's trying more. to intimidate this this Give kid. Me that. Oh! It just. He just threw the soda in Tank's face! Run for your life, John Michael! Yeah, you better get him out of here! And it's a very concerned Tony Schiavone! 
as any father would be, hanging on to his son, and I hear the music. Is Big Sexy gonna come out and answer the challenge? I hope so. I hope somebody comes out here and gets him out of here.